So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 1, page on, sorry, page 815 of the Church Bibles. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is, what, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he, did not, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those, who all have, sorry, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death came through a man the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man for as in adam all die so in christ all will be made alive but each in his own turn christ the first fruits and when he comes those who belong to him the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to god the father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that that does not include God himself, who puts everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised... Dead not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning, 
for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Now let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Father God, so much for revealing yourself and your plans to us in your word. Uh, Father, we uh, pray that as we look at this passage now and pray for the children as well in Kids Church, that uh, we would all be growing in our knowledge of you, our knowledge of your plans for uh, this world and for our lives. And more than that, Father, that we would be people who um, live with Jesus uh, as our Lord. And we pray in his name. Amen. In 1955, a book called The Tree of Man was published, uh, written by uh, Patrick White. It uh, tells the story of a young man at the beginning of the last century who leaves his uh, family home uh, in order to establish himself in the Australian bush. It's an epic story of his life, uh, of clearing the land, of building his house, of meeting a girl. It's a story of marriage, of childbirth, of family life, the, the ups and downs of life, floods, bushfires, tragedy, um, fighting in World War I, uh, a story of his wife's adultery against him. Uh, it also tells of the achievements of his life as the, the area that he cleared, that he pioneered, uh, that others move in, a village develops around him and becomes a residential area by the end of, and of his children <clears throat> as they grow up themselves and establish their homes and uh, establish their families and so on. And then, as an old man, one day, he dies. And that's it. Um, some of his family couldn't get to the funeral. It was a bit too inconvenient. But that's the end of the book. That's all there is to it. At least as far as I remember when I read it from my HSC. One of the few books I've ever read because I had to read it. <laughs> it's a shocking book. Uh, because it, it, it tells the story of every person, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, the details of our lives are different. The where we live and how we live, our achievements, our joys and our challenges, these things will all differ. But the reality is that the last chapter of everybody's life is death. Rich man, poor man, doesn't matter who you are, the, we all share the same common destiny, a hole in the ground or a plaque on a wall. So we wonder... What's it all about? Especially when you're doing your HSC. <laughs> but what's it all about? How do we make sense of it all? I mean, it just seems so futile. And for some people, thinking about these kind of matters becomes quite depressing and um, leads to hopelessness and despair. Uh, for many of us, I guess we resolve the issue by just not thinking about it too hard. And just uh, getting on with life, just trying to be as happy as we possibly can be, doing uh, whatever makes us happy uh, in a sense to eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. Which is very logical, it's very rational, it's very reasonable if our existence ends at death. But does it? 
Today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we come to one of the most important <coughs> chapters in the Bible. Important because the resurrection <coughs> changes everything. Changes everything about our world, everything about our lives. For it tells us that there is a reality which gives meaning and purpose beyond the grave. Now, if you'd like to open up your Bibles at 1 Corinthians 15... When Paul <coughs> addresses issues in the Corinthian church, uh, it's really of benefit to us because what we end up with is teaching which encourages and challenges Christians for all time. So what was the issue that was being addressed in chapter 15? Well, <coughs> if you turn to verse 12, uh, we get a hint of that because we, we learn that some of the church members... Uh, said that there is no resurrection of the dead. How about that? <clears throat> I mean, that's a big deal, isn't it? Um, there is no resurrection. Remember that these are not atheists. Uh, these are not non-Christians. These, these are the members of the church. And so why would they be saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? What did they mean by that? Well, to be honest, uh, exactly, precisely what they meant by it is a little bit um, speculative. We can't know with absolute certainty. I mean, uh, <clears throat> in verse 29, um, uh, somewhat apparently and somewhat bizarrely, uh, they were conducting baptisms for people who had died. So they had some idea about the afterlife, but it seems one which did not involve a bodily resurrection a bodily existence for eternity. And perhaps this may have been based on their wrong spirituality, the, um, uh, which uh, says that our spirit matters but our bodies um, don't count. Uh, whatever the case, in verses 1 through to 11, Paul decides it's time to get back to basics. So have a look at verses 1 and 2. He says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now, Paul has now dealt with all of the issues that the Corinthians raised with him in their letter that they wrote to him, but here is an issue which has come to his attention, perhaps by people from Chloe's household who've uh, travelled back uh, to Ephesus where Paul was writing this from and told him about this uh, thing that's going on in the Corinthian church. And so he decides that he needs to remind them of the gospel which he preached to them and which they had already believed and they'd stood for. So there's nothing new in what he's saying. So what is this gospel? Well, verse 3 for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried and he, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. So, 
as Paul addresses the issue of our resurrection, where does he start? The resurrection of Jesus. See, how did Jesus rise? Well, it's not, uh, he didn't rise in the way that some modern false teachers say that, you know, Jesus rose in the sense that his spirit lives on in our hearts. We were inspired by him to live good lives and so on, and nonsense like that. But neither uh, was he raised as a spirit just floating around, and he's up in the heavenlies now just floating uh, around like an apparition. No, how did Jesus rise? He rose bodily. He appeared to many people. People could see him, people could uh, touch him, people could walk with him, people could talk with him. Uh, he rose as a, as a man. Uh, he rose bodily. Although the experience which Paul had um, was, as he says, abnormal. He was abnormally born. Uh, the word, original word's a bit stronger than that. It's a really, really difficult birth. Um, but he appeared to, 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 to Paul after his ascension to heaven. But more than that, in verses 9 to 11, um, Paul had been a persecutor of the Christian church. But in Paul's apostleship, which some of the Corinthians did not respect, in Paul's apostleship, we find the, the profound difference that the resurrection of Jesus makes in the life of even the worst of sinners. And so therefore in verse 11, uh, regardless of whether it was the, uh, the other apostles who preached this or whether it was Paul who preached it, this is what the Corinthians had believed, this is what the Corinthians had taken their stand on, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried and that he rose again. So in verse 12, if they believe that Christ has been risen from the dead, then how can they say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How can they say that? Um, for if that is the case, uh, in verses 13 through to 19, there are certain things which follow. Firstly, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then that means that Christ has not been raised. And secondly, if Christ has not been raised, then preaching the gospel is useless. It is a pointless activity uh, which achieves nothing. It achieves nothing. In fact, it's, it's actually a false message. Uh, as you see in verse 15, Paul says that more than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. We'd been going around the world telling people that uh, God had raised Jesus out of the grave, that we saw him, that we met him, that uh, he has indeed been risen, and in fact it's just a pack of lies. We're all frauds. We're, this is just a giant hoax that we've been thrusting upon humanity. And in verse 17... And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. 
number of years ago I saw a church leader who was being interviewed on television. <clears throat> Someone had uh, uncovered uh, uh, just outside of Jerusalem in an old tomb some bones which they said uh, they thought were the bones of Jesus and uh, this church leader was asked uh, how he would react if it was found and uh, proven beyond any doubt that the bones that were in that tomb in fact were the bones of Jesus of Nazareth. How would he react to that? How would you react to that? Would it change? Well, this church leader said uh, that it wouldn't change anything for him. He said, um, I, I would still believe. Well, that's well-meaning, but it doesn't make sense. I mean, it's right to be sceptical about such claims, but hypothetically, if it could be proven that the bones of Jesus were still in a grave outside of Jerusalem, then logically we should stop believing. You see, the Christian faith stands or falls on the historical uh, accuracy of the resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Uh, for the resurrection, uh, th things flow from that. The, the resurrection is the proof that uh, God has accepted the death of Jesus as the sufficient payment for our sins and so if he's not been raised from the dead then we're still in our sins and our faith is useless. More than that we are to be pitied more than all people because we've all been duped. For the last 2,000 years Millions and millions of millions of people around the world have all been duped. They've all been living for... Well, you and I, we're living for a lie. In fact, we're wasting our time right now. This is a waste of time. We, we could be down the beach. We could be home mowing the lawns or clearing the gutters. Uh, we should be anywhere else but church, let alone making sacrifices, let alone... Suffering for being a Christian if Christ has not been raised. It's futile. But he has been raised. Have a look at verse 20. <clears throat> but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. This is Paul the converted Pharisee um, testifying that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Now what, do, what does he mean by firstfruits? Well, when a farmer ploughs... Uh, uh, <clears throat> ploughs his soil, uh, what does he then do? He then plants his seed. What does he do after that? Well, he cares for his field, doesn't he? He waters it if he can, does whatever he, he uh, farmers do for to, for, to their land. Uh, but the question always remains, will he actually get a harvest? In the Old Testament, when the first fruits of the harvest emerged, they were offered up to God as a thanksgiving sacrifice. And why? Because once the first fruits arrive, 
you know you've got a harvest. You know that the rest of the crop is, is going to come. It's like when you put a deposit on a house. You hand over some cash, but that's your guarantee that there's more cash to come. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is the first fruits. Uh, it is the breakthrough which shows that death has now been defeated and that a harvest will now follow of other people who will be raised from the dead. That, by the way, it's, um, it's kind of like the opposite to Adam, isn't it? Because uh, Adam sinned and there was a lot of... And what, what followed from that? Um, all die. Christ was raised and we also will live through him. But his resurrection is even more than that. You see, in verses 24 to 29, Jesus is raised for the purpose that he would rule. How? Well, two ways. First of all, he rules in the lives of people. As the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed and preached and shared all around the world, as men and women, boys and girls, trust in Christ's death for the forgiveness of their sins and turn to him as their Lord, then by his word and spirit he rules in our hearts um, and, uh, <clears throat> and he conquers uh, Satan's grip over people's lives every time someone comes to know Christ. And he becomes our king as we turn away from self in order to live for him. But secondly, the resurrected Jesus will one day rule over all creation, the whole of the universe, not God the Father himself, but he will rule the whole of creation. And he does so not as a disembodied spirit floating around in heaven. No, he rules as a man, as one of us. Um, he will rule the universe uh, in the same way that uh, Adam, the first man, was supposed to rule the world. And friends, uh, in other passages such as 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, uh, we who are in Christ will rule with him. You see, Paul's point is that when Christ was resurrected he did not shed his humanity um, it was a bodily resurrection um, witnessed by many people um, and so the Christ who rules is both 100% God and 100% man he's one of us but if Christ is not raised in verses 29 to 34 there are three practical implications particularly for the Corinthian church and first of all uh, Paul says that if the dead uh, are not raised Paul asks why are people being baptized for them now we do not have the foggiest idea what this is about I mean there's only one verse in the Bible that talks about um, people being baptized for the dead and it's this verse and uh, so it'd be not helpful to build an entire theology on it uh, and it doesn't sound right does it? it sounds wrong it doesn't sound like it's really consistent with um, people needing to put their own faith in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, Paul here does not condemn it 
um, nor does he endorse it. He simply points out that it's stupid, you know, that it's illogical what they are doing if the dead are not raised. Um, some people say that we should be running church the way that the Corinthians ran their church. Well, are they baptized, getting baptised for dead people? I don't think so. I only know of one group in the world that does that and uh, um, they are based in Utah in America. Um, Mormons do that. Secondly, in verse 31, Paul says, I die every day. I mean that, brothers. Just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? Well, again, what does that mean? Uh, did Paul fight wild beasts in Ephesus? Um, did he really do that? Um, uh, what does he mean by that? Or is he exaggerating to, to sharpen the point? Like when Jesus says, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, to sin gouge it out and throw it away. Uh, I think we get the point though, don't we? I think we understand. Saul the Pharisee, Saul the persecutor of Christians, becomes the persecuted Christian. Intentionally. Why would he do that? doesn't make sense except that Jesus has been raised from the dead and he met him. The third implication in verse 32 is the futility of life. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Because what are we? Who are we? Like rats on the proverbial spinning wheel where born, we're raised, we establish ourselves, we get a job, we work, we eat, we sleep, we play, we suffer, we go through all the ups and downs of life and then one day we die. And that's it. So live it up. Might as well enjoy as much as we can all the meaningless days of this meaningless life because in the end we're just food for worms fertilizer for daffodils. In 1990, the businessman Kerry, Kerry Packer had a heart attack. Um, some of you may remember that, if you're old enough. And he was clinically dead for seven minutes. It's James Packer's dad, for those of you who are a bit younger. <laughs> All right. It's where James Packer got his money from. Actually, it came from Frank Packer, who was before Kerry. Anyway, another story. But he was, he was a rich man. And he was clinically dead for seven minutes. Um, he was resuscitated, and it was that resuscitation which prompted him to uh, donate a defib def defibrillator to every ambulance across New South Wales. They think they, they end up calling them the, the Packer Whackers, those defibrillators. After, asked about his near-death experience, people say, you know, you were clinically dead for seven minutes, you know, what did you experience, what did you see on the other side? And he says, well, don't fool yourself, there was nothing there. So just eat and drink and be merry. For well, thank you, Mr Packer, <coughs> but there is something there. We know that because the bodily resurrection of Jesus proves it. And it changes 
how we live our lives. It changes our character. Take a look at verse 33. <clears throat> Do not be misled, says Paul. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some of you who are ignorant of God, I say this to your shame. Friends, there was bad company in the Corinthian church. There were people, influential people, influencers who were denying that one day that we will be resurrected from the dead and that is bad company to have in your church. That is polluting the church. That is corrupting the church. So there's no wonder there was so much division in the Corinthian church. There's no wonder that there was pride and immorality and greed. There were people taking others to court in the church and there was such a lack of love. Because when we are not clear about resurrection, how do we end up living? Well, we absorb the values, we absorb the priorities, we absorb the morals of those who are ignorant of God. So much of which, sadly, we see in the churches today. Snap out of it, says Paul. Come to your senses. Stop sinning. I like that. Sometimes we just need to be told to stop sinning, don't we? <laughs> For somewhere to put, someone to put it out there, frankly, to us. As a minister, I have attended countless funerals. It goes with the turf. It's part of the job. In the context of death, what words can the non-Christian offer at a funeral service? What words of wisdom? What words of comfort what's it words of hope which are more than just mere sentimentality or wishful thinking what words can the atheist offer about this lump of meaningless matter this five dollars worth of chemicals that has come to the end of its natural life cycle as we sing i did it my way no the bodily resurrection of jesus who died for our sins is the solid basis for our hope beyond the grave and that friends is the same hope that ought to shape our character shape our lives as we await for that day let's pray <clears throat> father we want to thank you that uh, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And we thank you, Father God, because he's the first fruits, uh, that he has um, uh, broken the power that sin has, broken the grip of death, that therefore there is a harvest to follow and that we are that harvest if we have put our trust in him. Father, we thank you that one day we will be bodily resurrected and that with Christ we will rule over your world, your universe. Now, Lord God, it's our prayer that uh, you, by your word and spirit now, would help us to see the importance, the priority of resurrection, that we would be people whose lives are changed now, that we would be living uh, in a, not, 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 not in sin, but rather living uh, in the way, way that pleases you, with Jesus as our ruler. In his name we pray. Amen.